Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll be turning our attention to this morning. Last week you finished, or Jared finished, in our series that's been going for some, quite some time through the Gospel of John. And you completed that looking at the, one of the theme passages in John, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. I had the opportunity this morning to listen to a part of that message, not all of it yet, so, but... Uh, I know Jared does a wonderful job uh, when he is tasked with the responsibility of proclaiming the Word of God. Today we are beginning a short series uh, that will take us through the end of July. This is a series uh, we're entitling The Kingdom of God. I will deliver this morning what will be the introductory uh, message to that series. And then over the next eight weeks you'll be going through... Basically through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation with a look at this theme or this idea of the kingdom of God. And during that time, I'll be sharing several of those messages. Jared, several, uh, Ryan, I believe one, and Brett Winter is also going to be delivering one of those messages as well. So this morning I want to introduce this and we will use Matthew chapter 6 to do so. But let me ask you, as we begin to think about this this big concept, this big idea of the kingdom of God, which may mean many things to different people, maybe may many different things to you. I, I hope for us to zero in on this idea uh, as it is revealed to us throughout uh, the entirety of the text that God has given to us to reveal himself. Uh, and this concept of the kingdom of God is ultimately, in its, in its ultimate sense, a revelation of all uh, that God has unveiled for us about him. Well, let me ask you to think on this question for a few moments or as we consider uh, this message. What is it that you desire more than anything else? What is it that you desire more than anything else? In this moment, right now, what is it that you desire more than you want anything else? Now, I realize our desires fluctuate from time to time. You know, in about, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, your greatest desire might be lunch. But we go through different drives in our lives. So sometimes, uh, especially in our adolescence, those greatest desires might be fulfilled through, through some means of entertainment or fun. It's as those are things that drive us uh, from one moment to the next, what it is that we're going to do, the next great adventure. Maybe that's what drives you even now. Your greatest desire you're focused on right now is your next great adventure or your vacation. Maybe that's what you desire more than anything in this moment. Maybe it's for at some point in life, your greatest desire is to accomplish the big goal of of, of finishing college and getting that degree. And that's driving everything that that you do. It, It determines for you your life. I mean, the structure of your life. Maybe at some point for all of us, or many of us in the past, some of us still in the future, some of you still in the future, the greatest desire you have is to get married. Maybe that's what's driving you or once drove you beyond anything else. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's your children, your family. What is it that you desire most right now? What is it that you, that gets you out of the bed in the morning? What makes you put your feet on the floor and start your day? 
What is that for you? As we consider this, this idea of the kingdom of God over the next nine weeks, including today, I want this question to linger in your mind. What is it that drives you more than anything else? Now, I know the church answer, right? You know what you're supposed to say, right? Jay does. <laughs> you, you know, you're supposed to say, well, Jesus, he drives me more than anything. That's the, the Sunday school answer. You know, Jesus is always the correct answer, right? Matter of fact, I was thinking because of this passage I was singing this morning. Remember that old song? Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. You remember that song? That was ringing in my head this morning because of the, the second verse goes with our text this morning. Jesus is the answer. And we know that. But in our experience, different things push us. Different things drive us more than anything else. Unfortunately, I think that it is the temporary. It is the momentary that even those of us who claim live our lives for our king... We're driven more by the things of this world than we have ever been or for many will ever be driven by the glory of our great God. And that's a travesty. That should not be. It's not okay. We can make all the excuses. We can come up with all the reasons. And we have really good reasons, don't we? I mean, you, you have to pursue a career, right? I mean, you got to be able to Work and provide money to feed your family. That's not a bad thing. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But it still doesn't justify pursuing that more than we pursue passionately God and his glory. Or as we will discuss throughout this series, as we pursue God's kingdom. What is it that you desire most of all? Let's read together just really one verse that you could, many of you could probably quote from memory in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. How many of you, not for show off or anything, but just out of curiosity, how many of you know that scripture by heart? It's one of those, especially those who grew up with Bible drills and those kinds of things. It's one of those ones that we learn. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. And we'll talk about those things will be added to you. As we discuss or introduce this theme of the kingdom of God, I want to do so under three uh, or with three ideas in mind. First of all, the kingdom of God is and has always been a present reality. Whether we realize it or not, it is a present reality. Number two, the kingdom of God is our primary pursuit. It is our preeminent or primary pursuit. And number three, the kingdom of God is, listen to this one, the kingdom of God is our perfect provision. Did you get those? Well, let's talk about those briefly this morning by way of introduction. See, this idea that the kingdom of God is a present reality, you know, you might not be able to wrap your minds completely around this thought. And that's the purpose of this series. We hope to help you to understand what is it that we mean when we're talking about the kingdom of God, because we also know the term that's used along with that, the kingdom of 
heaven. And so we immediately began to think of a geographical defined place when we think of this kingdom. And that's understandable. And it's not that that isn't the case, but really that's, that's, that's too little of an idea of what the kingdom of God is. It's, it's much more expansive than a definable geographic area. Now, what we're going to find is that throughout Scripture, God has begun to reveal what the kingdom of God is through visible, tangible definition, illustration throughout the corpus of the Bible. We're going to see this unveiled as we go in, in, in various ways. But ultimately, when we find or we discover what the kingdom of God is, it is much more than a destination of a place. And yes, we will see that ultimately God's kingdom will one day be fully consummated in every way that describable. And there will be a location to that. But again, the location itself, if we're thinking in a place, we're missing fully the concept that the Bible seeks to teach us when it talks about this kingdom that is the kingdom of God. So let me take you briefly through what we're going to go through over the next eight weeks from Genesis uh, up to at least where we find ourselves in the text today that Jesus is talking about. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. What are we supposed to be seeking? Uh, Does that just mean just think about the future out there someday? Heaven that we're going to get to go to? Is that that what it means? Just just look to that. Keep your eyes fixed on that. and, And that's all that matters. And I would say, well, yes, but that's that's too limited That doesn't express fully what this idea of kingdom of God is all about. But what we see is in the very beginning, as we begin reading the the scripture that God has left for us to unveil to us his kingdom, in the very beginning, in the story of creation, we see, which we'll look at next week in more detail, we see God's perfect illustration of the kingdom. That's what God created in the beginning. As he prepared this, this land, this, this, this place, and it is a geographical place in that sense, he prepared it for the specific purpose that his greatest creation would be able to dwell there. We see that in the unfolding of the story. As God said, created in the days of creation, let there be light. Uh, let the, the, the waters be separated and he cre- created sky from the, the waters above and the waters below. And then he, he gathered the waters in one place and he called that uh, he, to separate the waters there. And he called that land. And then he created all the, the vegetation. And he put the fish in the sea and the birds in the air to feel it. You, you get this idea of feeling, filling up in that creation story. And ultimately that story drives to the ultimate point that everything that God did in creation was not just to simply to, to busy himself with something to do, but he was driving at a preparation of a land, of a place for his greatest, most special creation of all. And that is human beings. He created Adam and Eve. And the Bible tells us that he placed them in this perfect place that God prepared for them. And he did so so that they could dwell in a perfect existence, walking perfectly with their creator. This is the kingdom illustrated to us in the beginning. Not fully understood, but this is what the kingdom was about. Now, granted, if we assume or we theorize for a moment and say, well, if Adam and Eve had always lived perfectly for God, what would have happened? Well, the world would have been filled with worshipers. 
And, and that would have been the express, the, the greatest expression of God's kingdom. And ultimately, we can, we can sum that up into the, this little phrase. And I hope you learn this over these nine weeks. God's kingdom is God's people in God's place enjoying God's rule and blessing. Put that in your heads. God's people in God's place enjoying God's rule and God's blessing. This is, is probably the best definition of the kingdom of God. Now, granted, the place is something in there, but it's not just a place. It's God's people, a particular special people, dwelling in a particular special place, enjoying God reigning wonderfully, graciously, gloriously over his people. And so they enjoy his rule and his blessing. And we see that in the garden in the beginning. And that's, it illustrates that to us. But something happened, didn't it? That kingdom, in its first expression, collapsed. It was broken. Now, it didn't disappear. God was still reigning. God never ceased being in absolute full control. He's always been sovereign. He always will be sovereign, even though we might not fully grasp that or feel like we experience his absolute control in the chaos of our lives. But he is absolutely in control. So his his kingdom is was always present. But as far as the experience of that kingdom, it disappeared in a great way. It it, it was dismantled in a sense. It, it diminished in a sense as far as experience of that kingdom by God's people. And so, as a consequence, they were cast out of that perfect place. And so, as a result of the fall, the experience of God's kingdom ceased. Adam and Eve ceased being God's people. They chose. Check out what they chose. They were provided everything that they needed to live the perfect life. Everything you and I would want, whether we realize it or not, They had it. God said, I'll provide it all for you. You need nothing. Just trust me. But yet they still chose and basically said, you know what? This is great, but we want to do something for ourselves. We want to provide for ourselves. And so that's what they did. They decided to make their own rules. And as a result, God's kingdom was broken. And so they ceased being God's people by their own choice. They wanted to be their their own rulers. They were cast out of God's place, and as a result, they no longer enjoyed God's rule and God's blessing. But the story of the Old Testament is a continual story of this very same thing. Because we see with the call of Abraham, God calling forth a people for himself once again. It's God rebuilding this kingdom, bringing it into an experienced reality in this world. He called forth a people, and Abraham, he took them... Out of a, a, a bondage in Egypt. First, he, he put them there where they multiplied as his people. He took them out and he led them where? To a place that he prepared for them, right? The promised land. Very much like he did in the beginning. And he placed them in that land. Now, this isn't the fullest expression of the kingdom. It's limited in its expression because of sin. But nevertheless, it's illustrated to us. And then, once they got in that land... Even though it wasn't necessarily in the, in the way it should have happened, God gave them a king. And that king became the mediator of God's rule and God's blessing to them. And, and we read about that throughout, especially the reign of David and Solomon. 
that in a very real sense, in a very tangible way, as God illustrated it in real life, that kingdom was limited but reestablished in a sense. They were God's people once again, specifically. They were in the place that God led them to, and they were underneath the rule of this, these, these godly kings, David and Solomon, until later in his life, enjoying God's rule and God's blessing. Not in his fullest sense, not in the sense that God had intended in the beginning or once again bring about in the end, but it was illustrated. They began to taste it and see it in a sense. But what happened? Cycle through, right? We still got this problem that entered earlier on. It's called sin. And this kingdom was once again broken, wasn't it? When Solomon went chasing after other gods, the kingdom was split into two nations. And then ultimately in time, because of God's con- the people's continual rebellion, in essence, think about their rebellion in these terms. They wanted to provide for themselves. Remember when they first wanted a king? What was it? They, they wanted the king that they wanted. They wanted a king instead of God, not the king that God had for them. And so they're doing it all over again. And what was the result? They were cast out of God's place, the perfect place that God had prepared for them. They once again ceased to be God's people and they no longer enjoyed God's rule and blessing. In fact, if you look in Jeremiah chapter 4, you can turn there with me real quick. I want you to see something in the the storyline that we see throughout the Bible. Hold your finger at Jeremiah 4, and I'm going to read just a portion of Genesis 1 just to make the connection. You don't have to turn to Genesis 1. Genesis 1 reads this way. Just listen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And you know the rest of the story. Now, Jeremiah 4 I'll just start with verse 1. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness. Hold up a second. I think I'm starting way too early. Yes, I am. I'm sorry. Let's move on. I was thinking verse 3. Let's skip on down. Uh, Verse 22. For my people are foolish, and they know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil. But how to do good, they know not. Now look, listen to this. In light of Genesis 1. I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void. And to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked to the mountains, and behold, they were quaking. And and all the hills moved to and fro. And I looked, and behold, there was no man. And all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was a desert. And all its cities were were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. Now, you hear what, is, what that's expressing? What Jeremiah, or God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, he's expressing almost the very same thing he did before he created. He's saying things are just like they were before I created. The, as a matter of fact, the term used for without form and void, really better translated barren and in, in inhabitable in Hebrew, it's, I love this word, tohu vavohu. 
It's the only two places it's used. It's Genesis 1 and Jeremiah 4. And so in the exile, as God's people began to sin and live for themselves, provide for themselves, God cast them out of the kingdom, the place. They no longer enjoyed God's rule and blessing. And Jeremiah, the prophet, looks on that experience and he says, it's just like it was before God did it all. We're back to the beginning. We're back to the world being uninhabitable. The, the perfect land, the place of God's people is not inhabitable. It's barren and we're back there. And see the language, it says that there was no light. This is illustrative of that creation. And so once again, we see this cycle of sinful mankind seeking to live for themselves rather than for God's glory. Rather than being God's people in God's place, enjoying God's rule and blessing, they are choosing to, to provide for themselves for some reason they think that that will somehow do them better. That their experience in this world will somehow be better if they do it their way. Well, after the exile, there was a promise. Prophets continued to prophesy of God's kingdom coming. And then something happened. As I often like to say, I love it in the words of Hebrew 1. In, in times past, in many ways, in various times, God spoke to his children, his people, by means of the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to, he has spoken to us by his son. And so after the consequences of the rebellion, the consequences of them living for themselves, the, the expulsion from God's perfect place, enjoying uh, God's rule and blessing... God went silent. 400 years of silence. And then he spoke loud and clear. Not through a prophet that they didn't listen to before anyway, but by his son. His son was the word. He wasn't just coming to speak a word. He was the word. And what was the word he spoke? Well, you know John 1, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt in the midst of He didn't bring God's word. He was God's final word. And that final word was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming. In fact, in Christ, we find that it became a much more understandable, graspable, I don't think that's a word, but something that could be grasped in a greater sense. It wasn't fully here. It it was near. We could begin to see it in Christ as he expressed it through his life. If you continue reading John 1, uh, beyond verse 14, it says, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld, we behold in Jesus Christ the expression of God's great kingdom. And, and we can almost say that the terms God's kingdom and God's glory are synonymous in a, in, a, in a very real sense, almost saying the same thing. We're talking about the kingdom of God and the glory of God. God's kingdom in all its fullness is his glory. And it is most great. It's expressed in its greatest sense in the person of Jesus Christ. So then we come to Matthew 6 and to our second point. That was the long part. God's kingdom is and has always been a present reality and is so today. Not in its fullest sense, but in a very real sense. But the second thing is God's kingdom is our primary pursuit. It's what Jesus says here in this Sermon on the Mount. He says, but seek you first the kingdom of God. First. First. 
primary above all things. Right? It's pretty simple language. You don't need a Greek degree to understand what Jesus is saying there, right? You don't have to... It's clear. But seek you first. And first doesn't only mean before other things, but it's first in the sense of first in order, but first always also holds the concept of preeminence, most importance, greatest expression. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his, and this is another expression of the kingdom, that is his righteousness. All that God is in his fullness. Seek that first. Seek to be God's people, living in God's place, enjoying God's rule sovereignly over your life, and also enjoying his blessing as a result. But seek you first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here's the problem. Because, you see, Adam and Eve, they lived in that perfect expression of the kingdom. They had it all. God said, I'll provide everything. You need nothing to experience the greatest that life can possibly be forever. You need nothing. I freely give it all to you. I provide it for you. Adam and Eve, thank you, God. But, you know, we think we can do better. We'll, we'll provide for ourselves. You see, we're living in that experience. And so we... We begin with the corrupted viewpoint that we've got to provide for ourselves. And then once we've done all that, beyond that, we trust God. Right? Now, this isn't to slam anybody. We're all in this place. We're all corrupted by that mindset. And what we think is we've got to pursue hot and heavy the career above anything else because that's the most important thing in life. Right? And we always attach Jesus to that. We attach church. We attach community to those things. But it consumes us. Our, our houses consume us. All these things consume us because we are corrupted with the mindset that we must first provide for ourselves. And as we do that, trust God. But what we miss is the fact that that very mindset is in complete opposition to trust God. It is the very problem that we have. You see, our greatest need is not, how do I provide for my family? When we're in that mode, we're in that mode because of the sin's existence in this world, not because of God's glory. How do I provide for my family? How am I going to be able to do the things that I, I need to do? Or, or even beyond that, how am I going to do all the things I want to do? That's not our greatest need. Because, hey, we want to experience life in abundance, and there's nothing wrong with that. Except for the way we go about it. How are we going to do this? And we tag God to it. That's, that's not our greatest need. Our greatest need is how do we trust God? How do we step outside the mindset that I've got to do all these things and then see what God does in addition? How do we get outside that mindset and say, you know what? My greatest pursuit beyond my family, beyond taking care of my kids, beyond my job, beyond my own fleshly desires. My greatest need is to pursue God's kingdom and his righteousness. 
and everything in our lives that, that seeps in, that pushes that down, destroys what God wants for us. Because God wants us to pursue Him first, above, far above anything else, even to the detriment of all that other stuff. Sometimes we pursue him first. And guess what he said? And all these things shall be added to you. What things? Well, go back and read chapter six. What was the concern? Well, how am I going to feed myself? How am I going to put clothes or shelter myself? How are we going to do it? Because those are important things. And Jesus understood that those were essentials to living life in this world. And Jesus says, you know what? God takes care of those things. You Christian. You who say you believe God, pursue, seek passionately God's kingdom. That is the determiner. The rest of the stuff will take place. Maybe not the way you want it to. Maybe not to the extent that you want it. Will God provide you food? Yeah. So long as he has determined that you live in this world for his glory, he will keep you alive in this world, in the kingdom of this world. And nothing can change that because he's sovereign. His kingdom is still present in a very real sense. And so he will keep you in this world as long as he is determined to keep you in this world. What does the Bible say? That your, your days are numbered. And nothing you can do can lengthen those days or shorten those days. Matthew chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be taken care of. We have a hard time with that, don't we? A very great difficulty for us because of the world we live in, because of our experiences. But we as Christians are supposed to trust this word that says, seek first the kingdom of God. And we need to begin passionately pursuing God's kingdom and God's kingdom alone and trusting that God is going to put those other things. In. He's going to open doors. He's going to close doors. It might not be what your flesh wants in the moment, but I can guarantee you if as you pursue him, that your desires will be transformed into the desires that God has for you and his provision for you will bring you the greatest joy that you could ever experience in this life and for eternity because we are to pursue being God's people, not our own people, not who we want to be, not what we want to make of our lives, but we're to pursue being God's people living in God's place. And guess what? The Bible teaches us that that place has been greatly expanded. Because in the time of the prophets, what, what the prophets or God spoke to the prophets was that one day that God's glory would fill the earth as the, the waters cover the seas. So it wouldn't be a tract of land somewhere. That was just an illustration, a shadow of something much greater. But God's kingdom would know no boundaries. It would be unlimited. It would be it encompass the entirety of God's creation and every single nation. So we are now God's people as we come underneath God's sovereign rule. And we are saved by his grace. We become a part of a great people that is from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. That is now God's people. And God's place. Huh, that one's a tough one. But the shadow of that place right now is the church. The church. Worldwide in that expression, but tangibly experienced through the local church, God's place. And it is where we, as we submit our, our own fleshly, earthly desires to God's sovereign rule, as we as a church 
submit to that, we experience God's rule and reign in our lives rather than our own fleeting opinions. And we enjoy God's blessing. That doesn't mean health and wealth and all that kind of stuff. It means that the joy unspeakable and full of glory that God grants his people as we serve the purposes that God has placed us here to serve. Not our own purposes, but his above all else. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Which is also, and I've already preached it, God's kingdom is our perfect provision. You see... What we long for, whether we can put it in words or not, what we, by God's design, long for more than anything else is to experience exactly what I've said, the kingdom of God, being God's people in God's place, enjoying his rule and blessing. But the problem with that is because of sin's effects on this world and upon our hearts, we think we know better. We think we can provide better for ourselves. We justify things. They're logical in this world. And so we pursue everything other than God's kingdom first, thinking that if we get all this in order, then we can somehow serve God. And so we continue to seek to provide for ourselves. We see God's kingdom is our perfect provision, which means... If we will quit doing things our way and submitting to our rule and the rule of this world and the mentality of this world and our present culture and we will pursue first God's kingdom and his righteousness, then we will understand at some point we will come to increasingly understand that God's provision through the experience of his kingdom is exactly what we long for. It's what we're trying to get by pursuing all these other things. Careers and money and wealth and experience and adventure. What we really need, what we really long for is God's perfect rule in our lives. Because that is our perfect provision. No matter what you think, no matter what I think in this world. We trust the word and it says that if we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. That everything else, everything will be taken care of. Either God will will put it in your life as he has designed or he'll take your desire for it away. It'll disappear. It will fade. What's the song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So what do you desire? More than anything. What do you want? Right now. What is it that you want? What is welling up inside of you? That that, that you crave. What is it? Do you crave God's sovereign rule in this world? Because here's the beauty. One day. Just like every promise God has made. Throughout the scriptures. Came true. He has promised that this kingdom will one day be an ultimate and final reality. It will be fully consummated. What Jesus Christ inaugurated in his coming will be completed when he comes again. And everything that that seems to be a a temporary need in this world will disappear. It will no longer be a need. There will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. And God's people will once again fully and finally exist in God's place and forever enjoy 
his rule and his blessings. The only difference from the beginning is there will never again be a chance for sin to come in and destroy it. What do you desire more than anything else? And how will you pursue God's kingdom as the most preeminent pursuit in your life? Because if you are God's, then that is your obligation. That is God's glory. That is your good. That is your greatest joy, is to pursue Him and Him alone. The kingdom of God and the glory that comes with it. If your pursuit is something else, if something else drives you, then you have one of two problems. And I'm not here to be the judge on that. But problem one is that no matter how religious you might be, you've never repented of your sin and trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are not one of God's people. That's why you don't desire it. It makes sense, right? I mean, we can't expect people who don't belong to God to, to, to pursue or passionately desire to pursue God and be consumed by it. You can't expect it. It makes perfect sense. And, and that could be the reason. If you don't have a desire for God's kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if that's not your life's pursuit, then the problem could be is because you're not one of his. And my prayer for you is this, that God would open your eyes to that reality. To see the corruption of your your heart, the sinful condition of your heart, and your great need to repent and submit to His sovereign rule in your life. To trust in Him, to believe the gospel. Or problem number two, which is probably not as much as problem number one, Meaning that it probably isn't the issue for as many people as problem number one is. But problem number two is that you are one of his. But in your experience of life, you have bought into, as many people have in our culture, living life for ourselves, the American dream, pursuing health, wealth, and careers and those kinds of things, and tagging Jesus onto the side. And we feel good about ourselves. We show up for church. We do our things. We give a little. We even give some time or do something here and there. And, and we feel good about that. And, you, and, and the problem is, you're a believer. You are one of his, but you've bought into that and you've been distracted. And you, by means of that, you're ineffective for his glory. And God doesn't want that for your life. And, and what you need to do is no different than the first group. You need to repent. You need to repent of your sinful selfishness. And you're allowing your mindset and this culture to rule and reign over you. You think you're in control, but you're not. This culture is. You're enslaved to it. You need to stop because Jesus set you free. And you need to be free. Free to live for his glory as you were designed to live. And so, whichever of those may be your problems today, the solution is the same. Repent and trust. Trust him. Trust Him with everything. Will you do that? What would it take for you to do that? Father, we thank you for your glory and your grace. We pray this morning as you've taught us to pray Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but Lord, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Father, have your way in the hearts of your people. Do not allow us to remain as we are, sinfully enslaved to this world, either lost in darkness or having stepped into the light but somehow been blinded once again to not see our great need by the temptations of this world. And I pray, Lord, that you would remove them and you would open all our eyes to the reality that is right before us. This world is passing away. And your kingdom is coming. Even now, in its fullest expression. So, Father, I pray that your people, those who claim the name of Jesus Christ, would pursue your kingdom and your righteousness first, above all else, and let you do what you've promised to do. Provide everything that is necessary for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with me.